Hi, my name is Evan, and I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Ian, and I use they, them pronouns. And we are... The Baker Baker Street Street Regulars, Regulars. a podcast where we are taking a queer magnifying glass to the Sherlock Holmes canon and its many adaptations. So, here we are. Here we are. Another day, another Sherlock. And not the one we promised either. No. So last week, we kind of promised a little Ace Attorney. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be clear, we did do our due diligence. Yes, we did our research. We Mm -hmm. looked up. A lot about it. Right. We looked up clips of gameplay. Right. The game itself is like 60 hours long. Mm-hmm. People have posted the whole game online. So we were looking at clips of gameplay. Yeah. And we're like, there's certainly something here, but is it a full episode? No. I will say. Mm. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Really like them. Yeah. Let, let's do quick thoughts about Herlock Sholmes, Ace Attorney, real quick. Because I think my, my thoughts can be boiled down to one phrase, which is Manic Pixie Dream Sherlock. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, he's gay. He's gay. <laughs> well, and also, they have chosen to render him as a very attractive man mm-hmm. in a waistcoat and everything. He's like one slur, but blonde. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you type Herlock Sholmes into like a Google search bar, the first thing that pops up is Herlock Sholmes slash reader. So I think that's telling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's telling about <laughs> about what there is to say about this man, which is that he's he's just an attractive, he's hot Tumblr sexy man kind of yeah kind of guy with the with the and, formal attire and the bizarre behavior. In fact, one of the compilations we watched this this woman was completely thirsting over him. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. Like so thirsty over him, and yeah. we're like. He's gay. <laughs> well, actually, we'll post the link to that video in the description because yes. it has a good supercut of of the character. And I, one of the like defining traits of the character, other than that, he's a goofy goober. Yeah, quite frankly, is that he often shows up in the corner of whatever room you're exploring in the most bizarre position, mm-hmm. just like hanging from a, a wall sconce <laughs> or crouched on a pile of books or something, just always in weird situations and places. And it's, yeah, he's very manic pixie dream Sherlock meets just chaotic in the best way possible. Yes. Yeah. And it's fun, but that's sort of all there is to say about it. The other thing to say about it is that his Watson is a teenage girl. They didn't get the rights, so it's Herlock Sholmes and Iris Wilson. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's fun. Which is fun. You know, I I love like when they have like an adult person and then a kid sidekick. I always find that, like, it's very, like, Sailor Moon-esque to me, and Mm -hmm. I love that. So, as you can tell from the uh, title of this episode, the pivot we've made is to discussing the silent Buster Keaton film, Sherlock Jr. Pivot. I love that you did a, like, Catherine (laughs) O'Hara voice. No, that's what David Schwimmer does whenever they're, like, carrying... Aren't they yelling? Yeah, but I don't want to yell into the mic. But you just sound like Catherine O'Hara. Bebe. Bebe. <laughs> okay, sorry again. <laughs> Why don't you pivot with your eccentricities? I can't do it. I can't do the voice. So, it's worth noting that as of the time of recording, the actor strike appears to be over. Yes. We don't have all the details yet about the agreement that was reached with SAG and the AMPTP. Yes. But... It seems like the strike is over, and we can return to covering what would have been struck work. Mm -hmm. 
shortly. And we're very happy for SAG-AFTRA when that a deal has been reached. So, yay, yay unions. Yay and congrats. So we'll talk more at the end of the episode about what's coming up, uh, but we're excited to start folding in some American-produced works in, into our exploration of the Sherlock canon. Yes. And what better way to start this than something that... Uh... Nope. What is the public domain yeah. three, three years ago? <laughs> uh, this week we watched the Buster Keaton silent film Sherlock Jr. Yes. So this film was released in 1924. It was directed by and stars Buster Keaton. Oh, I didn't know he directed it. He directed it as well. Also produced. Wow. And edited. This film took four months to make, and that's an unusually long time for a film of this period. Oh, definitely. Other Buster Keaton films took two months to make. This one took four, and that's because they did a lot of, like, editing tricks and camera tricks and complicated shots. And stunts. And stunts that took longer to film. What's crazy about this era is that, like, in modern Hollywood, you know, they don't even let big actors do big stunts because like they're they're too valuable mm-hmm. it, it could really like be financially difficult if they got hurt so they have some people to do everything and then people work on them and they're very complicated but in the 1920s the way they did stunts is they just like i mean there's some that are done by camera tricks but there are some that are just like well we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have him go do that we're just going to have uh, Buster Keaton go do this crazy dangerous thing and hope that he lives <laughs> so there's a stunt that he does in this movie where he broke his neck, actually. Really? And then didn't realize till years later that he had broken his neck. He was just running around. He had headaches and migraines for the rest of his life after making this movie from one of the stunts. Oh, my God. Yeah. We'll get into it, but it's a, definitely a different era. Yeah. So Yay unions. Yay unions. Right, exactly. It's a thematic episode. <laughs> it's worth noting that in 1991, this film was selected for preservation in the... Library of Congress, and in the year 2000, the American Film Institute selected it as one of the 100 funniest films of all times. American films, presumably. Fun! How fun! The film is 45 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Which, for, like, a 1920s film, that's pretty long. Yeah. Like, they're usually, like, maybe 20 minutes at most. Well, and I'll admit, going in, I was like, oh, you know, films of this era, the pacing is slower than modern films. Is it going to really feel like 45 minutes? And I think some of the beginning stuff's a little slow, but mm-hmm. once it gets going, it keeps going. Yeah. And there's a history of Buster Keaton editing and re-editing this film mm-hmm. and showing it to different audiences. It actually wasn't a success its first couple screenings, and he kept editing and editing and editing it until we got to the version we have today. Interesting. Yeah. So you have a, a quick synopsis for us. Yes. So we kind of begin. Buster is a movie theater projectionist and janitor but he really wants to be a detective he has a book all about how to be a detective and he likes to read it you know when the boss isn't looking but we begin the movie with like him sweeping around the theater and you know he has like a few bucks but he wants like another dollar to buy really expensive chocolate well you say really expensive but they're three dollars well for the time it's really expensive sure the fact that he has a dollar at all is probably like whoa to begin with we should look up how much that is in modern money. Because it's, it's 100 years ago, 1924 almost. Yeah. I'll look that up. I'll look that up while you're talking. But, yeah, so he, like, he finds a couple of dollars. However, they just so happen to belong to other people. So we get, like, a running joke of, I lost a dollar in this trash pile that you're sweeping up. And then he goes to the candy shop and buys a $1 box of chocolate. 
for a girl that he really likes and he's trying to woo. He goes to her house, he gives her the chocolates. Before he gives her the chocolates, though, he kind of writes in pencil, like, makes it look like it's $4 instead of $1, which I thought was, like, pretty cool. I've looked it up. Yes? A $3 box of chocolates in 2023 money would be 50 some odd dollars. Somewhere between 51 and $53. Oh! That better be good chocolate. That better be. That better be, like... What's a chocolate brand that's, like, superior chocolate to you? Ghirardelli, maybe? Maybe a Ghirardelli. I'm sure that there's fancy chocolate that I don't know about because I'm not fancy rich. I don't buy fancy rich chocolates. Maybe it's, like, you you go to, like, an actual chocolatier or something. Right. The, the Wonka himself. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet <laughs> makes you a chocolate, bespoke chocolate bar. <laughs> and, and sings to you. For $50. For $50. That, that would be a bargain, I think. Yeah, honestly. But anyway, he buys his chocolate. He changes it to $4. He gives it to his lovely lady. Yes, credited as the girl. Credited as the girl. He also gives her a cute little ring with a very small diamond that you have to look through a magnifying glass. <laughs> but uh, we have a bigger, brawnier man coming in who's also wanting to woo this girl. And he sees that like Buster gave her chocolates and everything. So he steals the girl's father's pocket watch, I believe, mm-hmm. and pawns it off. For $4, this will become crucial later, (laughs) and buys a bigger box of chocolate for the girl. You know that thing in the 20s where, like, you know, a girl has, like, multiple men wooing her and then they have to hate each other or, you know. There's definitely some things happening here that, that, like, are relevant to the dating culture of the 20s. Yeah. Like, he shows up with the chocolates and she invites him to the parlor and then the other man shows up with a bigger box of chocolates and she invites him into, like, a further parlor. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, is that, is it a metaphor? Or, like, what, (laughs) what does it mean? But the girl's father is like, where's my pocket watch? And the villain, the bigger guy, sees, like, oh, this little Buster Keaton, he's, like, an amateur detective type guy. You know, he's... A lot smarter book, so I'm going to, like, try to outwit him. So he puts the receipt of the uh, pocket watch that he pawned off into Buster's pocket. Buster searches everyone, and then Buster searches himself just, you know, out of, like, let's search everyone. Well, yeah, well, the the bad guy is the one who says, we should should search you, too, because he knows that the pawn ticket is there. Right. Pawn ticket is in there, so the father is, like... Well, son, you're not allowed to be around here anymore. And the girl is, like, in the corridor, like, gives back the ring, and she's all like, oh, well, that's it then. I guess you're a vagrant and a thief, so... Shame. And so Buster's like, well, this doesn't make sense, so let me follow this big guy. And, you know, of course, shenanigans ensue. We get, like, the whole, like, following the guy, like, right behind him. We see a few fun stunts. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some there's some good ones here. Yeah, this is this is where we get the car thing, right? The train car. He he get gets into a train, gets on top of a train, mm-hmm. and then the train is moving, and he is jumping across the moving train cars. Right, and then he jumps onto a water spout. This is actually the one where he broke his neck. The his weight was more than they'd calculated for, so more water came out, and he like got thrown to the ground. But in the shot, he like gets up and walks away. Yeah. And he truly didn't realize his neck had been broken until years later when a doctor and like did an X-ray. Oh, that makes me shiver. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's some there's some good bits though. There's there's uh, him tailing the guy was very funny. Yeah. Um, Buster Keaton, you know, feeling down, just goes back to his job at the movie theater, and he plays a movie which just so happens to be 
uh, detective movie. Well, it's not really. Is it not? No. So the movie is just some sort of like upper class uh, parlor rom-com thing. And I think he turns it into a detective movie. Got it. Okay. But there's really cool special effects where he is asleep and then like a very like, how would you describe it? It, what's funny is that, like, I don't know if this is the first time, but this is this is, this has become a classic effect. Like, any, yes, that anytime someone is sleeping or having some sort of out of body experience, this is the effect where you see the body and then you see while they're still there, you see that like a ghost version of them get up and walk away from the body. Mickey Mouse has done it. Winnie the Pooh has done it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's done it. Yeah. So uh, he steps into the movie that is playing, and it becomes this detective movie, this Sherlock Junior movie. Yeah, uh, where he sees himself as like a junior version of Sherlock Holmes. So the bad guy in real life is the bad guy in the film. The girl in real life is the girl in the film and so on and so forth. We get like this extra butler character. I don't know if he has like... The Wikipedia page says that he's also in the house at the beginning. I just didn't recognize him. Yeah, I didn't recognize him either. Yeah. But we get like this butler accomplice to the bad guy. They In this Sherlock Jr. movie, they steal pearls from the father and obviously because Sherlock Jr. is Sherlock Jr. he doesn't get framed but they do everything in their power to kind of get rid of Sherlock Jr. there's a gag of a chair having a little button and an axe can come down they have they invited to play pool with an exploding cool ball yes they try to poison his drink yeah it's it's very it's very goofy it's very cartoony and of course everything that they try to do does not work on sherlock jr backfires on them kind of backfires yeah yeah and the funny the funniest moment is sherlock jr is like i have solved the case but i don't know who did it (laughs) right yeah there's an interstitial that says the next morning he had solved the case except for finding the pearls or figuring out who did it. <laughs> like, that's the whole case. That's what have you solved? <laughs> but we, we see that he has a Watson of some sorts named Gillette, Gillette, not to be confused with the razors. Gillette is fine. <laughs> we see him a few times. Gillette is very useful throughout very, the upcoming sequence. Very useful. He shows up a lot. Sherlock leaves and goes to follow the big, tall, scary villain guy follows him to, I guess, his house and ends up on the roof. Gets tricked to be on the roof and locked on the roof. And then this is where we get a really cool stunt where he goes on, like, what looks like a railroad stop gate. Yes. And, like, goes... A very tall one, by the way. He grabs onto it from the top of the building and rides it down and lands in the back of the car as the villain is driving off. It's incredible. And you... It, like... It's... You know, no stuntmen, no special effects. They clearly just did it. They clearly <laughs> did it a hundred times until they got it perfectly right, right and then put it in the movie. So the villain guy is driving with Sherlock Jr. in the back, not knowing, to a secret location where he's going to pawn off the pearls. We see also in the back there's a guy, like, just hanging on to the car. And we find out, like, that's Gillette. And he has a little disguise in, like, what looks like the back of, you know, the like, the back of a Jeep. How they have, like, those rings for the tires. Yeah, it's tire-shaped. Yeah. yeah. Very much like that. It has, like, a, a disguise in there. Sherlock Jr. then goes inside. The villain guy is like, so here's what's happening. I'm gonna keep you here and kidnap you and lock you in a cage until you die. I'm all, I also have the girl in a very secret location with my accomplice, and the girl's going to be with me. She's waiting for me, and we're going to go off together. 
And Sherlock Jr. is like, okay, I have the pearls. Yeah, yoink. <laughs> yoink. Jumps out the window where the tire-esque thing is and jumps into a disguise. <laughs> right, into the, into the dress. And then this sets off, like, a, not always a car chase, but a, a car chase... It's yeah, a, ch- it's a long chase sequence. A very long chase sequence. We have you but know, ter- terrific, terrific, amazing chase. Very yeah. terrific chase sequence. It yeah. starts with like just them running around, losing disguise. Gillette is disguised again. This time as an old woman. Oh yeah, there's a great effect here that it, I think is also famous. I'd seen I'd seen a clip of it before, where Gillette is an old like peddler woman with a like a box displaying wares, and he's like, "Look, it's me, Sherlock." jump in the box but it's like it's a little box it's like like you have <laughs> like the person uh, selling drinks at a stadium at a baseball yeah. game would have that size and he's like he like is backed up against a wall and Sherlock jumps dives like through Gillette's chest into the box somehow and then Gillette walks away with the box mm-hmm. and leaving everyone very confused it, <laughs> it looks great it looks great it turns out to be like one of those like revolving doors like a revolving bookcase of some sort yes and Sherlock is able to like lock the two goonies like behind it so that settles them. Mm-hmm. I forget how another one gets settled, but yeah. ultimately it leads into like a car chase where Gillette and Sherlock are on kind of like a police motorbike. Yes, Gillette has somehow disguised himself a third time and is on a on some sort of motorbike. And he gets Buster Keaton onto the handlebars it, yeah. so he can dash away, but then he gets unseated, so Yeah, he gets yeeted off at uh, some point. Unknowingly, Sherlock Jr. is Racing through the streets mm-hmm. at top speed in a unmanned motorbike. <laughs> and we don't see the other car, but we just, like, figure that the other car is going to the same place. But it's mostly just seeing Sherlock Jr., like, going through, zigzagging through traffic. There's at one point he goes through, like, a tug of war and drags some people behind him. Right, he just misses a train as it goes across the tracks. There's, like, a cool tractor that he, like, goes under at some point. Yeah. Then he ends it's up... very inventive in terms of psychics. Oh, yeah, it's... It's, it was honestly really cool. It was one of my favorite parts of the film. Yeah. But then he ends up at the place where uh, the girl is being kept. He gets, like, kind of yeeted off the motorbike and through through a window and kicks the other accomplice in the face and through a wall. The bad guys show up and they try to knock down the door, but uh, Buster Keaton and the girl get out and steal their car. So the villains are like, well, let's... Take the accomplice's car and chase after them. And as they are driving away, Buster Keaton, we see he has the exploding the, pool the ball. The exploding pool ball and throws it back. And that's the end of the villains. But not so fast. It's a four wheel break on that car. <laughs> Which must be a topical joke. <laughs> must be a topical joke. Uh-huh. Of course, Buster Keaton doesn't know how to use it and stops, but stops so suddenly that the top part of the car comes clean off and into. A body of water. That gag was reused in a James Bond film. I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> That's funny. And, yeah, we they're on the water. We see he has the pearls, and, you know, they're in love. But, oh, no, the car sinks, and he, they have to, like, swim to land. But, luckily, Buster Keaton wakes up because he falls off his stool as he's pretending to swim midair. During that time we also see that the girl has figured out that, you know, the big villain guy pawned off the pocket watch and at some point went to tell her father and then found found Buster Keaton at the movie theater in the projection booth. And it was like, hey, so we know it wasn't you. There's been a mistake. I'm sorry. And this was a cute part. Buster Keaton 
in order to like figure out like because the fun the really funny thing about Buster Keaton is like especially after the first scene with the girl is he doesn't know like how to talk to girls or how to like woo girls in a way Are, are kids still saying no riz I guess yeah he has no riz he has no riz and so he has to like look at the movie to see what to do so holds hands you know kiss you know all that good stuff. And then the movie ends with, like, the fake movie showing, like, oh, they have babies. And Buster Keaton, like, just looks at the film and, like, scratches his head, like, okay, I guess that's next. That. And that's Sherlock Jr. And that's Sherlock Jr. I, uh, um, we've been your biggest too, right? Um, uh, one of the effects you didn't talk about is that uh, when he falls asleep at the projection studio, when he falls asleep in the projection booth, he, like, walks down into the, th- the movie theater in ghost form and then, like, walks into the movie. Like, mm-hmm. they, the movie cuts between, like, movie footage to actors on a stage set up like mm-hmm. they're still part of the movie so that he can walk, like, right into the film, which looks terrific. But then they do this gag where they cut between the movie, the, the movie that he's watching cuts between different locations quickly mm-hmm. and he jumps with it. So like if he's standing on a bench and then it cuts and he's standing on like a hill or something, you mm-hmm. know, like it keeps changing and he's like often caught in some sort of difficult situation, but it's, it's done perfectly. Like oh, he's yeah. always in the same position, always the same distance from the camera. And there's, there's a number of those where it's like suddenly he's by the ocean or suddenly he's surrounded by lions or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, you can tell a lot of love like went into the, the making of this. Yeah. And a lot of time and effort. It's interesting to see a film that is so clearly about filmmaking in some way. Like mm-hmm. it's like not only this love letter to like like having a character physically walk into a movie screen, which is done really beautifully and really simply, but also then at the end, like he sort of learns the man's role at a flirtation by watching movies as well. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting how much it like toes the line between like a movie about movies and a movie about detective and Sherlock. Yeah. So let's talk about the Sherlock in the room. Mm. Sherlock Jr. Well, exactly. Uh, what's your take on this as an adaptation of the Sherlock Holmes character and archetype? You know, that's interesting. I think Buster Keaton already kind of fits the mold of a Sherlock in a way. How so? With the whole, like, not really showing his emotions or letting his emotions, like, fully show. I don't, I don't know way. if I agree with that. I think he's he's pretty much an open book. We get a lot of emotion out of him. We know he's love. We know that he's happy or sad or, or nervous. But he doesn't, like, let it show on his face. I mean, he was known as, like, a, he has the most stoic face hmm. in all of Hollywood. That's what he was known for. Like, just a deadpan look. So it's really all in, like... The physicality. The physicality of it all. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily the Sherlock shtick. I, I think of it a little bit as Sherlocky. you know? He's only, like... Because we talk so much about how, like, how much he opens up to Watson and how much, like, he shows Watson he cares, whereas other points, like, y- you think he cares more about, like, the mystery or everything. And I see that a lot with Buster Keaton's version, version of Sherlock. He's very invested in this mystery. Oh, but I don't think he'd be invested if there wasn't a girl on the line. You know, I think he's the projectionist who's curious about becoming a detective, but he's only really 
like move to action when it's affecting his chances at love. You know what's happening? What? I'm thinking it more of like the Sherlock Jr. within the film mm. and less as Buster Keaton as projectionist yes. as Sherlock. Yeah, that's fair. I Yeah, I'm thinking of like, because in my, in my take is like Buster Keaton's projectionist character in the film is what he wants to be and what he sees. And so, because, and we see this at the beginning of the movie, the point is like, he wants to be a good detective, mm-hmm. a great detective even. Yeah. And so... In his fantasy, he's already a great detective. Yes, yeah, and... and the, gr- a- the girl is just a bonus, of course. In the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I overall, think... it's about him being a great detective. Yeah. I don't think you can separate the movie within the movie from the framework, because I think that, like, his fantasy about being a detective is, like, about being strong enough and capable enough and being the kind of man he wants to be in order to get the girl. I guess so. But I guess that's also why I see them as two separate characters. Right. The real man and the projection. Yeah. Literally a projection. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So when I so when I talk about how like I see the similarities of Sherlock with this Sherlock, I'm talking more of like the projectionist character. Like the character within the film. Sherlock Jr. Yeah. yeah. I'm not talking about the projectionist. Okay. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to to do it that way. I think the projectionist is a little is not Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but even the Sherlock in the movie, I think, is a different take on the character than we've seen because, mm-hmm. like, Sherlock Holmes in the Arthur Conan Doyle stories, as far as I know, doesn't get involved in car chases. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's something about it that feels very um, American about this version of this of this character that he's like not only a kind of masculine ideal saving damsels in distress but he also gets involved in like these drawn out long action scenes even if they are comic action scenes and like he's a little suave and he dresses very well and he like knows all these trick shots in pool that allow him to perfectly avoid hitting the exploding ball and you know i think that the sherlock we get in arthur conan doyle does have a lot of skills and does dress well and is suave and debonair, but I, I think the situations are very, feel very different. Mm. Uh, we we actually don't see him do very much detectiving. You know, the the whole first day that he's on the case is him uh, playing pool and avoiding various traps, and the second day is him getting involved in a, a long drawn out car chase and then rescuing the the girl. That's fair. Although I I will say. Another similarity that I saw between the two is at some point on in the pool table, he switches out the ball, like the 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 explosive pool ball and a regular pool ball. Yes. So, I, like he's he's a master at like right figuring things out. Right. He has actually determined that the ball is a bomb, and he's pocketed it and switched out for the real thirteen pool ball. And held on to it, which which is interesting. And then also we get this like interesting slice of his home life because mm-hmm. we see him starting his day with Gillette, his his how do they describe him? Assistant? Assistant, yeah. I think the word they use is assistant. And he has this funky house with, with visual gags. His door is actually a bank vault door. A bank vault that he can only open <laughs> and, inside. And there, it looks like there's a mirror, but then he can walk through it to get to the front door. It's yeah, it's it's an odd setup. What do you think about Gillette or Watson? 
I like him. I, I like a Gillette that is disguising, too. Yes. Yeah. Getting it in the act. Yeah. He also, like, serves this role that Watson doesn't really provide, which is, like, he's kind of the narrative convenience machine because Sherlock Jr. is, from Sherlock's perspective, not from Watson's perspective, like the books are. That's fair. So that allows Watson to just be, like, going to pop up where I'm needed and help solve problems. Like, and I think that if you, like, try to figure out the timeline of the chase, it doesn't make any sense. Like, the yeah. amount of time that he'd have to take the quick change and then get into a different vehicle or show up in a different place. <laughs> you know, there's a, a level of comic suspension of disbelief, which is fun. But it's interesting that he functions as a, like, comic narrative device more than as a character. Definitely. Although it's interesting to see a version of of Sherlock's assistant that feels more like a servant than a companion. Mm. Yeah. Because that, that's how I read that. It doesn't seem to me like they're equals in any sense. No, I, I agree with you on that. I did like seeing a comedic Sherlock. Yeah. I really like that. So fun. Yeah. Such a fun movie. Freely available. It's on YouTube. It's on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. You can watch it on Wikipedia. Yeah. Good, good goofy time. The, the character of Sherlock is interesting because Buster Keaton's effect is so, like, lightly effeminate and, and bouncy. And I like seeing that as a version of Sherlock, too, because sometimes we get Sherlock's that are so, like, everything has to be so dead serious. I wish we got more of that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like as time has gone by with Sherlock, we got like we get more of like grim dark, grim dark, or even like especially with the RDJ from what I've seen, like muscly. Yeah, we'll get there. Like Alpha esque Holmes type, or even Henry Cavill later on, like this like hunk. Mm-hmm. And I like seeing like I don't know, like a, a little twink. I mean, the funny thing is that, like, they don't make movies about men like this anymore. You know, like, like the Buster Keaton archetype is kind of lost to history. Like, I think the closest we've got in recent years is Eddie Redmayne. Mm. Like, I think that he plays this character. And I think a lot of people pointed this out about the first Fantastic Beasts movie is that, like, it's so rare to get a leading character who is, like, a shy introvert, Mm -hmm. not uber masculine, you know, like, just a, like, quiet dorky guy or if we do get those movies it's like have you seen like revenge of the nerds no i haven't it's very much like the nerds are like the heroes of the film and then like the the dork like the the big douchey jocks are the villains of the film yeah and so so forth yeah but i think a lot of those still want them to be cool and still want it to be like that guy's an asshole, but you're introverted and cool to your friends. You know, like, like mm. it's a different thing. Like, they can't be too introverted. And, like, yeah. They're, like, an outcast, but not so much an outcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're, they're an outcast, and you go, but why are they an outcast? They seem like yeah. a totally normal, totally socially okay. acceptable person. Yeah, I see that. Buster Keaton, you're like, yeah, he's a weird little guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get why people are, are a little weird to him. It, yeah, it was very much, like, the whole thing of, like, Especially the 20s, you know, between Buster Keaton and the actor that played the villain in this movie. Mm-hmm. Then you have, like, Charlie Chaplin, whoever, whichever big guy he's up against right. in all of his films. And yeah. even, like, Mickey Mouse and Pete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Little nerds against big burly guys. Yeah. And now it's all big burly guys. Yeah. Or, like, Popeye the Sailor Man, he has to drink his spinach in order to become, like, a muscular guy. But he's very small Mm -hmm. up against 
Bluto, I think, is the villain. The big, muscly villain. Could be. They don't make them like that anymore. They don't make them like that anymore. And I wish, like, we did have more of, like, a, a smaller, nerdier Sherlock. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. Weirdly, Jeremy Brett feels like the closest that we've gotten so far. I mean, also because it, he's done a similar amount of face painting for some reason. <laughs> like, Jeremy Brett and Buster Keaton have white faces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makeup caked on. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, I I would like to see more of that with Sherlock. And I don't think we will. I think we're just going to get more into, like, the suave, hot Sherlock's as opposed to, like, the, the dorky little guy. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening and you're a writer, please, please give us a dorky little Sherlock. Dorky little twink Sherlock. That's all we want. I mean, I'm not even sure if it is, like, true to the text, but certainly it's fun to see the interpretation. And I have to give this film five out of five stars just for having a scene where Buster Keaton genuinely slips on a banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was real good. The gangs in this film were so great. Yeah, they knew how to do them. They know how to do them. I, I I think it could be. I think the the pacing thing is could be a little bit faster at the beginning, but once it gets going, it really gets going. Yeah, once we get into the Sherlock of it all, yeah, it zooms. It's a terrific fun. I would recommend to anyone out there to watch this. Yeah, watch it. Go for it. Any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. Twink Sherlock. Watch all the Buster Keaton films because they're pretty incredible. And I'm excited for what's next. Good segue. Call me Paul Blart because I'm on a segue. <laughs> I haven't seen any other Buster Keaton films, so I can't vouch for the rest of them. But what I have seen is other Sherlock Holmeses. Mm-hmm. So no big change to our schedule right away. We're still doing the Frogwares video game chapter one next week, which will be fun because it's our first time seeing uh, a prequel to Sherlock yes. Holmes. It's an origin story. And I'm not aware of... of Many other origin stories. Later in the season, we'll cover Young Sherlock Holmes, the Spielberg movie. Right. But this is this is one of very few that tells us how Sherlock Holmes got to start. So that should be interesting. Oh, that'll be fun. And we love video games. And we love video games. Not enough to play Ace Attorney. No. No, no. Too long. <laughs> the Ace Attorney games are fun, but too long for this part. Too long. So you can look forward to that next week. Yeah. We've been your Baker Street regulars. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>